0: listening to a podcast from joettecalabries.com where nationally certified American homeopath, public speaker and author Joette Calabrese shares her passion for helping families stay healthy through homeopathy and nutrient dense nutrition. This is Jendi and I'm here with Joette Calabrese. Hello Joette, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Jendi, how
0: about you? I'm good, I am glad for a nice sunshiny day today. Finally. (laughs) I've been looking at your site, and I am particularly interested in how you raised your children. I know that your children are adults now and out of the house, but my children are still at home, and I am interested in learning how others who have already been through this did it successfully. So did you ever give your kids any medicine, and what did your pediatrician think about this?
1: Well, uh, for any mother, the most important aspect of their lives is, of course, their children. And then, let me say most emphatically, pediatrician? Yikes. (laughs) I'm being a little flippant here, but there's a measure of truth to my reaction. I didn't need a pediatrician. Uh, Those ubiquitous well-baby checkups were something I never bought into. You know, uh, excuse my skepticism, but they're just a calendar-building technique for an otherwise not very busy medical specialty. Perhaps they fulfill a, a, a need in mothers who don't trust knowing whether or not their children are well. But um, I always felt that I was happy to buy things when I needed them, but I don't really like to buy services and products that are redundant. And I found from years previous to having children and having been married to a doctor back in my 20s before I remarried and then had my children a decade later, you know, you can learn a lot in a decade. Um, of going to doctors, that they're always looking for something to do. And I interpreted that something to do meant prescribing drugs or ordering tests. And I was already clearly against that from from the very onset. So, And I also, I guess I don't care for, nor do I trust, drug fundamentalists. Uh, And I prefer those who are looking to protect the sink of the human body, not taint it with questionable du- drugs, uh, particularly during the susceptible years of childhood. And I think a drug fundamentalist is someone who says, ear infection, oh, antibiotic. Um, eczema, oh, uh, steroid. Um, you know, look, got a little, a little um, issue here on your skin, let's, uh, let's remove it. So the more I read and the more I found this medical specialty to be a disappointment, um, I loved Dr. Robert Mendelson in his book, How to Raise a Healthy Family in Spite uh, A Healthy Child In Spite of Your Doctor. Love that book. Uh, and my so my thinking went something like this. If I was going to bring children into the world, I really ought to be able to identify whether or not they were well. Mm-hmm. In fact, not unlike any mother, I checked my baby pretty much by the minute, because they were always in my arms when they were babies. Um and when they weren't, and they were at my feet. Um, As I was doing my work around the house, um, I felt pretty capable of knowing what was going on with my children. I knew when they were sick. And I felt and still feel that common horse sense that I was applying trumped any pediatric drug-laden scheme every time.
0: I personally really like this kind of thinking, but um, it seems like it's hard to carry out. And there's a lot of fear around the mothers today when we hear about the medical community coming and taking the kids and it just seems like the fear takes away the confidence and it's hard to rely on yourself as the mother.
1: Yeah, well, I think we should be getting our PhD in mothering. I really believe it's important that we know what we're talking about. We should not say, oh, I can just do this without um, doing some homework. So, you know, it should, mothering should command our full attention. The act of mothering should be civilized and respected and resourceful. After all, we are raising a human being, our offspring, our worldly and spiritual legacy. So if you're not up to the task and you need a pediatrician or another person to tell you to put chemicals into your baby's mouth, then well, I guess in a way we may even part ways and our conversation is over because that is my philosophy. I'm being a little blunt, but I believe it needs saying.
0: So what did you do when your kids got sick?
1: Well, the problem with modern pediatrics is that drugs opened a door to overuse. And I believe there are long-term ethical questions to be considered here. But then, worse yet, the door closed behind and slammed shut. And once I recognized that that was the paradigm that pediatricians adhered to, Um, And that it was based on, I believed, a cavalier smearing on, injecting in, and tossing about suspicious chemicals. It was easier from there on because I knew that wasn't what I wanted. So that was my first step. You know, for crying out loud, I put a lot of time into my whole homemade, organic, pasture-fed foods. Um, I sourced them carefully. I bought directly from farmers. I grew my own. It seemed downright stupid to me to forget all that and suppress a fever with an antibiotic. So there's a point of view that needs a discussion here, one that's not heard frequently enough, and that is, is it possible that we are being systematically altered and manipulated with substances that have never been proven to be safe? I mean, drugs aren't tested on children, mind you. Only adults, but you know, for obvious reasons. Children can't, are not supposed to be legally tested, and at least not in the conventional way. So how scientific is that? You know, in a circuitous way, however, we eventually find out how dangerous these products can be. And remember, that is what they are, products of an industry, products of an industry. We find out after the drug has been on the market for a few years, sometimes months, sometimes much longer, depending on the frequency of the prescription of these drugs. But eventually we learn that this or that drug is not only doubtful, but sometimes can even be lethal. That makes our kids lab rats for an industry. When I recognized this, that's when I begged out. You know, and I realized I haven't answered your question. Your que- what was your question again?
0: <laughs> I get so caught up in this. <laughs> well, it was, what, what about when your kids got sick? What oh, do we do then? Well,
1: around the time that I started to have my children, just before I had them, I started to realize all of this. And so what I needed to do, what I wanted to do was to learn another way. And the other way was first, what I learned was naturopathy, you know, clean clothes, warm room, leave the window open, fresh air, high quality foods made from at home, sourced well, um, stay away from foods that are manufactured, um, stay away from foods that have uh, ambiguous or unpronounceable ingredients make everything myself but when they got sick and I, ha- I did more than that
0: of course uh, that's
1: when I started to learn about homeopathy.
0: So you learned that the drugs were dangerous to kids and you were trying to raise your kids naturally. Can you give me an example of a drug that is dangerous for kids maybe something we should avoid? Well, in my
1: estimation, they all have dangerous aspects to them. It's just a matter of balancing what is more important. You know, there's certainly times when the dangers of a drug can be put aside for the advantage of something that is more looming. You know, if someone needs surgery, obviously, we need to have anesthesia. You know, it's a risk. Anesthesia is a risk. But it's worth taking if the surgery is absolutely necessary. And I am a proponent of surgery. I believe surgery can be very valuable. Not to remove tonsils, mind you, that's absolutely ridiculous. There's so many e- much so many other ways that are easier. Um, but when surgery is truly needed, of course, but that gets us into the question of unnecessary surgery that is performed on our children. But this day, today, taking of birth control pills, giving it to children over the course of years, for acne when they reach puberty, or because of pregnancy would be an inconvenience so that the child is taught very early on to use something like that to keep from getting pregnant. I'm going to probably turn a lot of people off by saying this. I find that odious. There are so many intelligent, clean alternatives to these kinds of over-the-top methods. You know, there's always an alternative. You just have to ask the right person. You have to ask the right questions um, and uh, and not someone who's promoting that drug. They're already, that person's already convinced of that their, me- their methods are worthy of touting. So, you know, giving you an exact example, the, that famous drug that opened the public's eye, at least when I was growing up, because we used to see kids that it's so horribly affected, was thalidomide. You know, uh, it was way before your time, but it caused limbs to not develop in utero. And there, you know, and I used to see children when I was a child who didn't have fully formed arms or legs or missing fingers. But then there's Darvon, for goodness sakes. It's a ubiquitous drug that's been regularly prescribed for pain up until a few years ago. And its claim to fame is now how brilliantly it was aiding humanity. But now it caused countless deaths by cardiac arrest in people who, and this is the most important aspect, who had no previous heart disease. It was merrily selling on the market since the late 50s. I think it was like 1957 when Darvon came on the market. And it was recently removed from the market after nearly 60 years of causing these deaths going untraced. And then there's Accutane that was specifically targeted at teens. that has been linked to serious side effects like birth defects. Get this one. Thoughts of suicide, depression, and bowel disorders. For goodness sakes, we're talking about acne. It was removed in the market back in two thousand nine, but there and there was no official recall. Mm-hmm. You see, it's not that there is a conspiracy of evil out there, like some people might suggest. It's simply a market square that says, "Here's a drug. If you want to take it, if you don't, then okay too." But we, meanwhile, it's up to us as mothers, as members of the public, um, to make sure that we have done our homework. The public, for some reason, well, it's not for some reason. It has certainly been. Um, directed at us in this way, that there's an erroneous idea that our government is out there protecting us, and it just simply isn't true. It's up to us to determine if we want such a chemical in um, our or our children's bodies. There are just too many instances to name here, but it's worthy of the attention of any conscientious parent to ask what kind of thin gruel are we giving our children.
0: So I know a question on my mind, and probably a lot of mothers, is if, if I stop asking my doctor, how do I know enough to take care of my children?
1: Well, I've been asked that question many times, and I always say, do you really have to ask that? I mean, I realize your question is rhetorical, and you're interviewing me, but how does anyone know how to make any decisions of substance in their lives? How do you know what house to buy? How, do, how, how to educate your family? Who should you marry? Uh, What church should you go to? Really, for goodness sakes, have we lost our ability to make good decisions? Do we not have the control in our lives to be able to decipher what's best for us and our family? I worry about what's wrong with the world, that the most fundamental work of an adult must be run by another. If we really don't know, ask your mother, ask your grandmother. That's where the wisdom lies. If they felt now, but now there are those circumstances, of course, if they have fallen into lockstep with the lopsided way of dependency on a doctor for every little fever, then start studying. Um, if you're, If your mother's saying, go to the doctor, go to the doctor, check with the doctor, call the doctor, then you know it's time to start doing some work on your own.
0: And I have thought about that. And I do believe we are way too dependent on the doctors and what the medical community thinks.
1: Well, and not just the doctors, I think of many industries in general, because they've done a very good job of marketing, you know, because I work with clients who hail from all over the world on a day-to-day basis from far-reaching places such as Mongolia, the Philippines, United Arab Emirates. In my fellowships in Calcutta, where I've worked with Hindus and Muslims and Sikhs. In the U.S., I work with Amish, Mennonites, Hasidic Jews, fundamental Christians, you name it, conservative Catholics. I've also lived in many areas of the U.S. and attended school in England and have done extensive travel. And I don't say this for any other reason than to say that I've observed a great deal in my 63 years on this earth. I've gleaned a perspective, I think, that's sweeping. And what I've consistently noted is something that is going to find the face of the narrative of the Western world. And that is, the, the, it, it's a sweeping generalization, but I can't help but note it time and again. That the greater the formal education of the mother, the less she trusts her ability to mother. And the flip side of it is that the more conservative the family values are, the more involved and less likely the mother is to run to the ubiquitous experts for caring for her children, not just pediatricians, but the educators for her child's education. So for the, you know, for the educated mother, the common horse sense, I believe, has been educated right out of her. I'm not talking about intelligence here. I mean higher education. Just try for one minute to see if you can convince a mother who has a law degree that she should know how to treat a fever herself without drugs in one hand and a phone to the doctor in the other. It might just throw her into a fit of disgust for those who don't respect the education of doctors with the mere mention of it. And I don't mean to condemn women who are attorneys. In fact, I took the LSATs myself and was on the entry list to join law school many years ago with a real strong desire to join the legal ranks. But I have to tell you that I have noted this phenomenon playing itself out in educated women. It's prevalent in mothers with demanding careers. They simply don't have the time to learn this stuff. But I say we must make the time. It's that simple. Priorities need to be set. With children, at the apex and the career well below that. Ultimately, if you have to buck the system, you have to do that. And yes, the feminist manifesto in order to take on this way of thinking. I defiantly taught my children, and I still say to them as adults, that they would most likely succeed in life if they watched everyone else and what they did and then did the opposite that's when they're likely to get it
0: right just
1: about 100% of the time.
0: (laughs) So did they follow your advice?
1: Well, unfortunately, my kids don't always listen to their mother, but I'll share something with you when I didn't follow my own advice. My my first son was in a school for a few years before I homeschooled him uh, through the rest of grammar school age. And I was being told by his teacher that he should not be taught how to play piano until he was older. It was the philosophy of that particular educational program to relay such intellectual pursuits. Now, my father and my brother are both professional musicians. I've played piano most of my life. I took classical music training. In college, so it took, me, it took some convincing for me to be convinced of this. But she did. She convinced me for a short time. What the heck was wrong with me? The teacher was almost half my age. I considered her education to be superior to my years of life, my family's values, and more importantly, my undying devotion to my child. Yet I took her advice for about a year. So I have to admit, I too am prone to being sold. I still kick myself today for having fallen for that piffle, And I do call it piffle. Soon after I woke up, though, and I decided that I was not going to pay attention um, to that kind of thinking, and I took him out of that school. Um, of so-called experts, mind you, and then we started homeschooling and from that time on. You know, as mothers, we must step back outside of the situation, gain a common sense perspective. The world is brimming with ideas and lifestyles that are lacking in common horse sense and we must sift through that rubble
0: it looks like your situation is different. It looks like you are a homeopath and have studied all this so you have confidence to take care of your kids that the rest of us don't have. So was it your training that gave you the guts to take on curing your family yourself without a doctor?
1: No, actually it was the other way around, Jendi. I knew nothing about medicine, uh, uh, you know, about even alternative medicine until I decided it was important enough to learn. I didn't learn about homeopathy until I got sick at the hands of modern medical treatments of antibiotics and those godforsaken birth control pills. That's when I said, okay, I've had enough. And that was just about the time my husband and I were married and we started looking into having a family. And that's when it became crystal clear that if you want something done right, (laughs) you have to do it yourself.
0: So I'm sure there's naysayers that will say, well, your kids probably weren't as sick as others, and that's why you could handle it.
1: No, you know, my kids were no different than anybody else. They got the usual coughs, colds, croup, stomach flus, you know, kitis, ear infections, cold sores, food intolerance, you name it, strep throat, injuries galore. I wasn't, compl- I've never been completely opposed to seeing doctors. I just knew I could have had most any condition that came our way. And the more I learned homeopathy, I preferred it to not be interfered with. Thank you very much. Um, But if something serious happened, of course I would take them to a, something that was beyond my understanding. Certainly I wasn't going to be foolish about this. You know, we lived on a small farm. We raised some chickens and had a couple of goats for a while. We had bees and we not only didn't depend on all this, but we rarely even needed a veterinarian because I learned enough about livestock and tending for them as well with homeopathy, but it was a process, you know. Uh, I believe that we Americans um, have been hoodwinked into believing that all germs are bad, and the truth is that exposure to these um, germs, etc., and eschewing chewing the stifling process of employing drugs is what actually keeps our children healthy. There is a beneficial purpose to acute illnesses, and so I wasn't afraid of them, I really believed it was important that my kids got chickenpox, that they got the flu. They got colds. I celebrated it when they got it. Stumbling, you know, stumbling on these fundamental discoveries, I sighed a sigh of not just relief, but belief. I believe in myself that I could do this myself, and then I set off and started to work on it so that I could prove to myself that I was worthy of it. So I did it the other way around.
0: I really love those ideas, and I really want to do them in my own family. And I do think we're often worried about pleasing others. But, of course, our first duty is to protect our family. And so until that is accomplished, nothing else matters.
1: Well, we have to aggressively seek answers in our lives. They're not just going to come to us. And and I find that most most of the answers that come too quickly are often planted there by media, marketing, etc., you know, I used to be an account executive for NBC back in the 1980s. That means I was a member of the sales and marketing department. I know marketing when I see it because I used to write the local TV commercials. So I can identify motives and who's behind what we read and hear very easily. I wish that everybody could. In fact, I assume many people do. And, yes, I was one of them. And I, and what I see in media is that the media They, the media themselves, are the stenographers for the government and health agencies. self-promoting medical organizations and out-of-control big pharma. So when I got out of that field and began raising my family, I used my experiences as my guide. You know, uh, far too often what I witness in the general public is apparent indifference, kind of an incurious way of living, a way of thinking that is far too accepting of status quo. And I believe that leads to mediocrity, which is the one word that scares the wits out of me. Those who are listening today are certainly not of that ilk, otherwise they'd be watching a reality TV show instead of learning how to take care of their families, or at least considering what I have to offer here. We need to get back to traditional values of commitment to our craft, whether it be as a parent, a grandparent, an engineer, a pianist, no matter. A commitment to excellence and not depending on others' Mm -hmm. opinions. That's why I look to those people in the world who have made a mark that lives beyond their time on earth for their inspiration, you know, and since I have a simpatico feeling towards India, I'll use two of my favorite Indian citizens, Mahatma Gandhi and Mother Teresa. I saw evidence of both of these two great minds during my time in Calcutta. There's evidence of them everywhere in statues and bulletin boards, etc. And as a Roman Catholic, I appreciate that Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity depended on homeopathy and treated the poorest of the poor in Calcutta with homeopathic medicines.
0: So it's a known fact that Mother Teresa and Gandhi used homeopathy? Well, I don't know that Gandhi
1: administered homeopathy, but but he held it in Mm -hmm. high regard. He's quoted as saying, I've got this quote right here, homeopathy cures a larger percentage of cases than any other form of treatment and is beyond a doubt safer and more economical, end of quote. And yes, the sisters were not fully trained homeopaths, but they knew how to use the medicines and administered them to the sick and dying. You know, Dr. Prasanta Mm -hmm. Banerjee, the wonderful man who trained me in his methods, knew and personally acknowledged that to me.
0: The wide world has a lot to offer us if we seek for it.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And the reason I mention this is because it demonstrates that homeopathy is so very poorly underrepresented in the U.S. today, yet highly valued in the rest of the world. In fact, it's valued everywhere but U.S. and Canada, and oddly enough, in communist countries, too. But more importantly, I share this because what I've unearthed are what I believe the answers Mm -hmm. to so many homeopathic protocols that can be learned by families to treat themselves. You know, it takes these protocols, take away the trial and error found in both classical homeopathy and uh, even what, say, an essential oil or something or herb can provide. I love to say, here's how you do it. Here's the condition. Here's the remedy. Here's the potency. And here's, here's where you can purchase it if you don't have it. And now this is how it's employed.
0: And I love that you share so much free information on your blog. And I love to go there and search for something that is bothering my family instead of going to the drugstore. And if I don't find something right away, I try to pick a synonym or another way to describe it and search that way. So I was looking up acne for my daughter. It didn't find a lot. So I put in pimples and it brought up some information about that. And I reference it to other people. Oh, I learned about this, on Anjoette joettcalabrese.com or I was reading about this on joettcalabrese.com so it's a great resource
1: yeah yeah
0: I'm, I'm glad you're
1: using it and that's the way to do it you have to have you may have to come up with synonyms yeah
0: do you have any parting words for us today
1: well actually I just have one my parting word is no the most powerful word in a woman's vocabulary is no you can always say yes later but start out with no first. No candy right now, honey. And more importantly, no thanks, doc. I need to give this some thought. No, not today, doc. I want to discuss it with my husband. No, not Tylenol for fever. Thank you very much. When it comes to our posture, dealing with the health and welfare, and this includes dealing with education administrators too, by the way, my general rule is no, don't be a good girl, be a good mother. Be prepared to fight the finish for your family. No, don't be a compliant parent. Be a self-respecting, well-informed force. Be defiant. Unapologetically take control of your destiny. Instead of bumping around the bottom in mediocrity, get to the top of your game. Go ahead and tuck away some of the protocols, the homeopathic tricks of the trade into your hip pocket. Then take your family by the hand, and face the opposite direction from the rest of the world, and that's when you say, yes, yes, I can do this myself. That's when you're likely to get it right.
0: Thank you so much, Joette, for all your encouragement. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. If you liked it, please share it with your friends.